2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you found it and you're able to, let's stand together. We'll begin reading in verse number 14 and read down through verse number 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that we which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ." As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I want to come back, and we're going to be following up from last week and continuing on where he says the love of Christ, in verse number 14, the love of Christ constraineth us. And I want to look this morning for a few moments on this subject matter of our response to his love. Our response to his love. Let's pray, and then you can be seated. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the word of God that's already been given out this morning. Lord, we're so thankful to be able to gather together Lord, throughout this service, Lord, publicly to be able to pray, to be able to open the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that we would have a deeper appreciation for the love that God has for each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray that throughout this day that we would understand what our response should be to the love of Christ that He has for us. Have your will and way now. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, as we preached in the Sunday morning service, we were in Romans chapter number 5, and we looked at the verse in verse number 8 that says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We looked specifically at the love of Christ. First, we had the, the definition of love, which is sacrifice which is given of that, we understand that love is, a, is an action word that ought to be in each and every one of our lives. We looked at the definition, we looked at, looked at the demonstration of love, that we looked at the, that God demonstrated by sending the Lord Jesus Christ. His love was put into action. 
And uh, we looked at where he commendeth his love, which means to speak favorably and to be able to present in such a way that it's appealing and desiring to us. And then we started looking at the demand of love. What does God demand from us because of his love toward us? And we looked at 1 John where it says that we love him because he first loved us. And today I'd like to continue on this thought about the the love of Christ, the love of God that's been bestowed upon us. And can I say those are some of the, the sweetest words to be able to look at in the scripture where it says that God loves us. And it's so comforting and it, and it can soothe our hearts and soothe our minds, our emotions, that when someone says, well, nobody loves me, well, it's wonderful to be able to go to the Scripture and be able to say, listen, you may not be receiving love from anybody down here on this earth, but can I tell you there's one far greater than what's walking upon the face of this earth today that loves you more than you can ever imagine. Now, so many today seem to desire to accept the love of Christ, but then live and believe like we have no responsibility to the love of Christ whatsoever. What would you think of a a married couple? Now, think about this, and we've seen examples of this, and, and in a fleshly way, we want to be able to take them out back of a woodshed and, and be able to educate them on a few things when we see examples of this. But you see in a, a marriage relationship how it seems like one person is trying to provide all the love and they're sacrificing and they're giving and rightfully so. Listen, this isn't a marriage message, but I'll say this. Marriage is not 50-50. You understand that, right? Let me help you right now. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100%, 100%. That I'm supposed to be given everything to that lady that God has placed in my life. But sometimes you see those situations that it's one person, yes, giving the 100%, and the other one, I mean, they're banking in there about 25%. And the, the sacrifice that's being made And you would think that at some point a realization and an understanding would come that, listen, if we're given 100%, boy, they really do love me, and it would cause an action back to the other person. If not, and like I said, there's times I've wanted to look at some men and say, listen, You don't realize how much your wife loves you, but hey, there's four other guys and we're going to step out back here behind the woodshed and we're going to go ahead and explain it to you rather politely and in Jesus name and say, realize some things or some ladies that would say, hey, you need to understand how much your husband loves you and provides for you and takes care of you. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because every one of us have seen or experienced or some, unfortunately, may have been part of relationships like that. And we believe that's wrong, not right when it comes to human relationships, but why is it that many times in the Christian realm, 
We are so willing and ready to accept the love that Christ bestows upon us. But then we say, yes, I'll take all your love, but no responsibility back. No response back for the love that God has bestowed upon each and every one of us. May I remind us today, I believe we have a great duty and responsibility to the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done for us. You say, well, can I ever repay him? No, none whatsoever. Listen, I could love my wife from now till eternity and I'd never repay her for how much she has loved me and been a blessing to me. None whatsoever. Doesn't even compare to what Christ has done for us. You say, well, pastor, there's no way I could repay Christ for what he's done for me. No, there isn't. But you know something? I want to spend the rest of my life trying. I want to be able to give my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you, number one, I want to be faithful to my Savior. Number two, to my bride. And number three, to his bride, the church. And what is our response to his love? Now, when we get here to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and we read in verse number 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. And some may say, well, that means to to choke off, and, and that means to hinder and to hold back. No, you got the wrong definition for constraineth. That's not what constraineth means. In fact, if you just go back and do a a simple study on this word, the best object lesson that I can give to you about the love of Christ constraining us would be the example of a pressure washer. Anybody here ever use a pressure washer? I love watching those videos where someone turns on a fire hose and they're not ready for it. And I mean, it it blows them all over the place. That's just my sense of humor, okay? And then they drop the hose and it's just flying all over the place. When you take a pressure washer, listen, it's a five-eighths inch hole of, of water that's coming in before the pump. But you know what happens inside there? That water is constrained but not stopped from going forward. In fact, that water is constrained and it is pressurized to be able to propel that going forward. Same water coming in, but propelled with force going forward. Can I say that's the meaning and the context of the word constraineth, that it is, yes, pressuring that down and the force and the constriction to be able to propel that forward. And what the Bible is speaking here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 is, listen, the love of Christ, it's something that's inside of me. You say, why do you do what you do? It ought to be because the love of Christ is the driving force that's going to propel us forward for the response to his love. And I thought, Lord, if you'd allow us to be able to understand that, listen, I believe at the the root of every motivation that we have for doing anything, it ought to be the love of Christ. If you would ask the apostle Paul, Paul, why do you do what you do? Because Christ loved me. We went through it and started looking at Paul's resume on Thursday evening. And I I can't wait for this coming Thursday where he gets a little bit further and then says that I might know him. Paul, what's the motivating factor? He's got education. He's got position. He's got religion. He's got all of it in Philippians chapter number three. But then listen, I like the words he used over in the book of Acts. He said, but none of these things move me. 
None of them. You know what he's saying? None of that constrains me. But what he said here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, the love of Christ constraineth me. The love of Christ propels us forward for that service that God has for us. Now, what should be our response to his love? Should we just take his love and then just go live and behave however we want to? May I remind us of this, and I continually use my wife and I as the example because I don't want anybody else to get offended, and my wife and I are the best ones that I know. You understand that my wife would not be real happy if I said, Crystal, I'm going to accept your love and all that that entails, but I'm going to go live however I want to live. You would say, well, something's wrong there. May I remind us that, and that we should understand that the love of Christ is a life-changing experience from which a person will never be the same when they accept the love of Christ. Testimony after testimony after testimony could be given about the day they realized how much the Lord Jesus Christ loves them. And they accepted that love as their Savior and that he died for him, was buried, and rose again the third day, that Jesus did all of that for each and every one of us. And there's only one four-letter word that describes that, and that's the word love. And when someone accepts that, not my works, but his love. And when we accept that, may I remind us, it is a life-changing experience. It is a life-changing time. You say, well, I know Jesus loves me, but nothing's ever changed in my life. Well, here's some things that should be our response in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. First of all, in verse number 15, I want us to see that the focus of our purpose changes. The focus of our purpose. You understand in verse number 15, it says, and that he died for all. Boy, aren't you thankful for that little three-letter word? Who is it that Jesus loves anyway? I believe he loves every one of us. Do you know it's with great authority that I can look out across this auditorium and into that camera right there and be able to say there's not one person listening to the sound of my voice right now that I'd have to say that Jesus doesn't love you? Boy, that makes it so easy to be able to talk to people and not have to wonder if that's the one Jesus loves. I'm so thankful where the Bible says, and that he died for all. Now look at this, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Do you understand when we accept the love of Christ, what should our response be? The focus of my purpose changes. I'm no longer living life just for myself. People go through life and listen, they are after what they can get and how they can benefit themselves. People go into marriages and marry for convenience and say, what can I get out of this? No, it's not about that with Christ. Christ says upon accepting his love and our response to his love, it ought to be the focus of our purpose changes. I'm not living for myself. You ever come in contact with, I mean, they're the most selfish person you've ever met. I know they're not sitting here this morning. 
I know it would, would never view ourselves that way, but we've run into people like that before, haven't we? That it, it's amazing what they'll do to make sure that they are satisfied and pleased and taken care of. Do you understand that's not the biblical reaction and mindset to the love of Christ? When the love of Christ is a life-changing experience to me, my response ought to be that I'm living for Christ now. I'm not living for myself. It's not about my personal goals and desires that I want to see accomplished. I want to see what Christ has in my life. We live for Christ, not ourselves. Let me remind you what the Bible says in a couple other passages. You can write these down. Galatians chapter number two and verse number 20, the Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You say, what's the difference? The difference is because of the love of Christ, I ought to be living for him. Do you know what makes a difference? And, and listen, the husband-wife relationship is the, 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 the only earthly relationship that we can come back to to be able to show this comparison of our relationship that ought to be because God's our Father. And we start looking at this relationship. The, the church is called the, the bride of Christ and referred to. Do you understand that when we say we love someone, our life ought to be completely about them? You see, I... I just don't know about that. Now, listen, I understand that's a foreign concept in modern-day worldly teaching. That, listen, it's all about me and what I can get, even when it comes to a marriage. My life ought to be... Do you understand? I don't go through a day without thinking about my wife and making sure that she's all set and taken care of. I don't, I don't go through a day. You say, why? Because listen, at the drop of a hat, and if I need to, I'll buy the hat, drop it myself. I need to make sure that she's taken care of. Can I let you in on a little secret? There may be some times that I may be asked to do something, and I say, I'm already scheduled during that time. You know what, sometimes, and listen, it's not, it's not all the time, but I'm just giving you a little insight. Do you know sometimes that's scheduled? is I'm just going out and taking care of my wife. And we're going to go out and grab a a coffee and a tea, or we're going to go out and grab a a supper together, or we're going to go spend some time together, because my number one responsibility, listen, this side of our Savior is making sure my focus is on her and that she's taken care of. Now, what about in our life with Christ? When we accept the love of Christ, our life ought to be for Him. How dare we say, Christ, I know you died for me. I know you were buried and you rose again. I know all that and I accept that. Now leave me alone and let me live my life. Boy, that's a great wedding vow, isn't it? My dearest Crystal, I know you're sacrificing everything for me. I know you're giving up and you're going you're gonna to do your best to be able to provide for me and to be able to help me and to be able to come alongside of me in all that God has for us. And I thank you so much for it. Now put this ring on the finger and I'm going to go live my life now. You say, Pastor, that's ludicrous. It really is. But our proper response 
to his love ought to be, listen, we no longer henceforth live for ourselves, but we live unto him. He's the one that loved us and died for us, that our life ought to be about Christ. Paul said it again in Colossians chapter number three. I'll read this. In verse number one, he said, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We accept his love. Our response to that should be our focus of purpose changes. I'll henceforth not live for myself, but my life is for Christ. You'll see, and I'd encourage you to stay around for the afternoon service. And to some of you, it may be a newer song that we're singing, but we're going to sing a song this afternoon. My life, Lord, is yours to control. You know why? Because I've given it to him. And as a proper response, how could I not? With all that Christ has done for me, how could I not live for him while I'm here on this earth? We got five teenagers sitting right here on the front row. How could they not? Every one of them have a profession of faith. Every one of them say they're saved. How could they not? For the rest of their life, say, Christ, you have died for me and saved me and given me eternity. How could I not live my life for you after what you've done for me and not practice, and this is for every one of us, and not practice selfish Christianity? Second of all, not only should our focus of purpose change, but I'm just giving you a couple simple things. Look at verse number 17. You understand that our proper response and our response to his love, a life-changing experience, our very nature changes. According to verse number 17, look what the Bible says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Aren't you thankful for the promise that God gives to us? Listen, we could take the time. You get over to Ephesians chapter number two, and the Bible teaches us there in the first few verses that before salvation, that we were by nature the very children of wrath. But yet at salvation, when we're put in Christ, because Christ loves us, you understand that our very nature changes? the very being of who we are. Now listen, let me remind us, God doesn't take what we have and just remodel it. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. A creature is something that has been created. And something created is not something that's just been invented from materials that's already there. It reminds me of this, that there was a, and this is just an example, this is not a true story, okay? That there was a scientist that was standing before the Lord, and they were arguing about who was smarter. Obviously, if you're trying to argue with God on who's smarter, you've lost the argument, Well, we can create, and we can invent, and we can do all these things, and so finally, coming down to it, 
God finally looked at the scientists and said, well, let's have a little challenge then. And some of you may have heard this before. He said, why don't we see who can create a man? You see, according to Genesis chapter 1, that's exactly what God did. And so, as the false story goes, God said, let's have a little challenge on who can create a man. And the scientist was all excited about it and said, that'd be fine. Let's go ahead and do that. And he reached down and he grabbed a handful of dirt and God said, "Uh uh-uh, go get your own dirt. Because God created it. A creature is something that's been created by Almighty God. May I say that God, when he, when he saves you and you accept the love of Christ in his life, it's not just a matter of turning over a new leaf, but God is creating and making an entire new you. Old things are passed away. Listen, how many have some old habits that you're thankful that God's taking care of in your life? There's some things that, hey, aren't you glad? And we used to sing it this way when I was a kid and we were growing up in church. Yes, I grew up in one of them strict churches. It was okay. Boy, we'd sing a song, hey, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. The friends I used to have, I don't have them anymore. You know why? And it would always come down to, there's been a great change since Jesus came in my life. You say, oh, that's just taking things too far. Is it really taking it too far in response to the love that Christ has for us? Or are we just in the mode of saying, Lord, I'll accept your love, but let me live my life how I want to. That would not work in a parent and child relationship. That would not work in a husband-wife relationship. Yeah, I could see my eight-year-old walking in. Hey, mom and dad, I sure appreciate the room and the board and everything, but don't you tell me one thing on how I'm supposed to behave. Unfortunately, that's about the truth today. When I was a kid, parents didn't run the house. I mean, kids didn't run the house. (laughs) Parents did. Boy, it seems like how things have flip-flopped. You know, I was actually told... Y'all getting me off on this. You know, I was actually told when I was a kid that kids ought ought to be seen and not heard. I, I wasn't allowed to go interrupt my parents when they were talking. I, I didn't see where that rule changed. I must. I have to go back and read the updated manual or something like that. But it's amazing. We wouldn't even think of a of a, a any sane adult. We wouldn't even think about an eight or a ten year old, let alone thirteen or fifteen year old, coming up saying, "Listen, give me all the blessings, but don't you tell me one thing what to do. I'm going to live my life how I want to." You know what I'd be saying? Yeah, go pay rent down the road somewhere. But yet with Christ, listen, he's so desiring our very nature changes. You say, well, I've accepted the love of Christ, but nothing's changed in my life. I wonder if you've accepted the love of Christ according to the scriptures. Because the Bible does say, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now, I'm not saying everything changes overnight. Wouldn't that be a blessing if we accept Christ and all the bad habits and all the desires and all the thoughts? Boy, that just changed right now. No, we, we talked about it in group this morning, our connection group downstairs with young adults. Listen, there's people right here. You still struggle with things from your old nature, that sinful man, that sinful nature that's in every single one of us. 
But you know something? God's still working on it. And I'm so thankful. Listen, our very nature changes, and some can testify maybe a little bit more than what I could. I was saved as a five-year-old. I, I could take you right back to the room right now. I don't think they've torn it out of the church. Right back to the room right now where I knelt down as a five-year-old boy and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be my personal Lord and Savior. Remember it like it was yesterday. You say, what changing did you have to do as a five-year-old? I had to be nicer to my sister. Sisters, when you got three of them, it's just tough. It's just hard. And I say this, every one of us know that God's working on things in our lives. That's the response to the love of Christ. Is our very nature changes. You say, I just, I just don't want to do that. I heard someone say this. They were, they were a drunkard, an alcoholic, and... He said, he said I, 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 I drink constantly. And he said, but you know, he said, I accepted the love of Christ one day. And he said, you know, come that next Friday night, he said, I walked into that same bar. He said, I sat down on the same stool. He said, I ordered the exact same drink and it was set in front of me. He said, I picked up that, jar, that glass. He said, boy, it just didn't taste the same. He said, I put that down. He said, I walked out of there. He said, never been the same since. Now, now, praise the Lord for it. He, he, he said, now, he didn't understand what was taking place. He went in and he started talking with someone, and the pastor said, well, there's a reason for that, okay? Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's not going to be the same desires. It's not going to be the same friends. They're just going to drag you down. Our very nature changes because of the love of Christ. But then can I give us this, and I'd love to be able to take about another 45 minutes and preach on this right here. Starting in verse number 18, I want you to see this. In verse number 18, look at this last word. Last three words, we'll start with that. Ministry of reconciliation. Verse number 19, it says word of reconciliation. And then in verse number 20, the last three words, reconciled to God. Can I remind us that our response to his love is that our representation of life changes? Now, what he's speaking of here as we look at this is that God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been reconciled to him. That Jesus, listen, when we're born and we have the sin nature, the Bible teaches us we are separated from Almighty God. We cannot get to God in and of ourselves. There's no good work that you're going to be able to get there for, okay? You can stretch as far as you can and try to reach God. You're not going to be able to reach him. Can I say God took the first step in reconciling man to himself, and that was through the Lord Jesus Christ. By the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross, being buried and rising from the dead, he paid our penalty. That which separated us from Almighty God was now gone. That wall of petition between us had been torn down. Now we're reconciled to him through Jesus. But can I say this? Jesus is in heaven today. Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God and he's still there. Listen, he makes intercession for us, which means he's, he's pleading and interceding on our behalf. 
Guess who has the ministry of reconciliation? The Bible says that ministry has been given to us. Do you understand that all around us, that there's people that we see on a daily and a weekly basis that are separated from Almighty God? They don't have that relationship with him. They don't understand the love that Christ has for them. But now the Bible says that he's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That now we get to represent and be able to go out in life and say, listen, here's the message to be able to reconcile you to Almighty God because you're separated from God. Do you understand the main purpose of trusting Christ as your Savior is not to just go to heaven? Now that's a fruit of it. That's a, a, a great blessing and benefit of trusting Christ. But the number one reason for trusting Christ and accepting his love is because we're separated from him. And what Christ did is the only way for us to be reconciled to God. And we've been given this word of reconciliation that with great hope and anticipation, I can talk to anybody I come in contact with and say, listen, sin has separated you from almighty God. But there's hope. There is a remedy for it and be able to give. Listen, it's not just the the word of reconciliation that man can be reconciled to God, but he uses this statement here in verse number 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Do you understand the term and the work and the representation of an ambassador? An ambassador, when they are living in a foreign land, they are not there whatsoever to represent themselves, to have their own thoughts, their own desires, and their own goals. They're not there for that. What would you, they're not supposed to be anyway, okay? Can I say a true ambassador, they're only there for one purpose, to represent the homeland. And to represent that one and that entity that has sent them over there. If we have an ambassador in a foreign country, listen, they are not there to represent their family. They are there to represent the United States of America. That's why if our country has an ambassador, now the Bible uses that same term and says that we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what that means? We're not here to represent ourselves. We're not here to be able to say, well, this is what I think ought to be done. No, none whatsoever. Everything that's done is from a word of a higher power. (laughs) Someone who's seated a whole lot higher than us, none other than God himself. We are ambassadors for Christ. Do you know why it says we're ambassadors for Christ? Because Christ isn't walking upon the face of the earth right now. No matter if anybody comes up and says, hey, I'm Jesus Christ. Uh, No, you're not. Okay, I'm sorry to burst your bubble right now. You're not. In fact, Jesus warned about it. If someone out in the desert says, hey, Christ is out there, don't go running out to the desert, okay? He's not there. The Bible tells us that Jesus is in heaven. He's not here on this earth. But guess who we are? We're his ambassadors. We're his ambassadors to be able to proclaim his message, his will, his desires to those that we come in contact with. You say, well, I don't know about that. That's a proper response to his love. You say, well, how much am I getting paid for being an ambassador? Well, is eternal life enough? Okay, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? 
What about eternity with Jesus? Not just living forever, but what about eternity with Jesus? What about that city of Jerusalem we read about over in, over in Revelation? I mean, get to walk on a street of gold? I mean, oh, that's nothing. What, what about all them in my father's house are, are many mansions? What about reading about all of that stuff? You say, where's my pay? I want it right now. No, you just have to wait a little while for it. But I will say this, I'm glad he dropped some handfuls on purpose right now while we're here too. Well, I'm so thankful for the blessings that God bestows upon us, the ability to be able to serve him. And listen, you say, why should we do it? Simply because of his love for us. Why should I love that person? Because he loves us. Why should I serve him? Because he loves us. It's the love of Christ that constraineth us. It's the love of Christ that ought to be our motivating power each and every day of our lives to be able to continue on for the Lord. Our focus of purpose changes. Listen, I'm not to be living for myself. I'm to be living for Christ. The very nature of who I am ought to be changed. And then how I represent You say, why should we do all this? How does this all happen? Can I just close with this? Verse number 21. Here's your why again. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Well, you talk about one phrase that describes the love of Christ. He was made to be sin who knew no sin. So if you say today, well, Jesus was just a sinner, just like everybody else was, listen, that's not Bible. It's not Bible. Our life is not our own. To live and do as we please, if we've accepted the love of Christ, then it is a life-changing experience and will impact not just your life, but the lives of others around us. What difference, let me ask you this, What difference has the love of Christ made in your life? Our response to his love, it's a life-changing experience. And I wonder if we're to live our lives on a daily basis, living like he loves us, living like we've accepted that, living like it's a changed life.